So we're going through the book of Jonah. And uh, like I say, Jonah is meant to be heard, not necessarily read. It's good to read it. It's better to hear it. Um, so with that, our buddy Nate Murray is going to read last week's passage and this week's passage. We're only doing the first three, actually two and a half, but he's going to read three. The first three verses of uh, chapter three today. Thanks, Cutter. The book of Jonah in chapter 2, and then chapter 3, 1 through 3. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deeps surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against in the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great, exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. All right. So, um, today we're just going to cover, I know that it seems like there's not a lot there, but there really is something going on there. Um, and we're going to open it up and check it out. So, um, I'm going to open it in a word of prayer. <clears throat> then we're going to look at Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and half of 3. Father, we love you. We come to you uh, with, with open hands, open minds to, to hear what you have to tell us. Reveal things to us that we need to hear. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> make us, form us daily more like you, especially in these moments when we gather to hear from your word. Make us unified in mind. Um, I ask that the, that the words that, that I speak this morning would be, um, would be the truth, and they would be your words, and I would never be forcing anything into the text that isn't supposed to be there, Lord, but we would merely search out the author's intent um, within the early centuries that this was written, and, and the context that is there. Help us to understand it, and somehow be able to apply it to a 21st century world that is completely different. Um, we ask that uh, you would speak to us this morning, quite simply, that you would give us some wisdom, that you would give us some hope, that you would give us some... Uh, um, some grace. Thank you, God. In your name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so the things that stick out to me um, as I listened to that last passage from last week, chapter 2, is right at verse 9 where it says this. I, I don't have it up here for you, but I'm going to show it to you. It says this, um, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So um, at some point here, um, after he is um, comes to the realization that he has been rescued by a God who, who, who um, really owed him nothing. Um, he had made a pact, a covenant with God, and God had, um, had, had promised him that things would go well, and he ran from God. Oh, water for me. Thank you. I always forget to bring it up. You're my hero. 
All right. <clears throat> so, um, verse 9 leaves us with this sense of what Jonah's going to do next. It says he's going to offer sacrifices. He's made a vow that he's going to go and, and offer the right kind of sacrifices. This is not something that can be just done anywhere. Um, it says that Jonah um, promises to offer sacrifices and fulfill these vows. And if this were really any other book, um, <clears throat> any book that's supposed to be read and um, written in, in a more sort of sort of just here's what happened in a historical sense kind of way, then it would, it would have him going to Jerusalem and, uh, and giving the, the sacrifice and, and buying what he was supposed to sacrifice there for the money that, that, he, that was required of him with however much he made per year. And he would offer the sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. And this is really the only righteous thing and the righteous place for a prophet to go do is make sacrifices at the temple after God has done something for him in this way. There, um, he would... He would go to, to Jerusalem, he would make these sacrifices, um, and he'd sing a song of praise or two, and it would be great. Um, but we don't see that happening. We don't see it happening at all. Um, what we see, however, um, it, it, it sort of resets the story back to the beginning. Um, it doesn't even really resolve the story that actually happened um, he doesn't sit back and say, I've learned my lesson and goes and offers sacrifices and, he's, and he's, he's forgiven and made whole again. None of this happens. It doesn't talk about his journey back home. It doesn't talk about his sacrifices, um, any kind of trip to Jerusalem. We're suddenly taken back to the beginning of the story. Um, he's standing there. And again, the word of the Lord come, came to Jonah a second time. All right, so it seems that the story is going to be retold here, because, um, but with a completely different sort of response and action from Jonah. When I, when I read this, you know what I think of? Uh, when I was a kid, in um, uh, honestly, I, I remember this probably around like '92 or '93. Um, that like I, I was in like like school, and and these kids would have these these books. I never read one of them. I don't know exactly what they're like, but I remember they would like you come to a place, and it's like if you want Bobby to go into the cave, you flip to page 75. If you want Bobby to go home and have dinner, flip to page 30. And, and, so like, and so you can read the book over and over and over again, and every time you read it, you come to a different conclusion. So it's like a book this thick, but it's really like, it's like, like this big, because there's all these different ways you can go. And this is sort of what this reminds me of. The, the story goes back to the beginning, and he retells it, sort of, had Jonah obeyed? Had Jonah done something different? And this is what, as you're listening to the story, it's supposed to remind you of, is, is this sort of like, something else could have happened. All right, um, and, and, and as you listen to it, you're sort of supposed to like grasp this. And, and the reason I think you're supposed to grasp this, and, and the thing a lot of scholars talk about, is the way it's written here in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, is the exact same verse as chapter 1, verse 1, and there's one thing switched. Um, if, if, you, if you go to chapter 1, it says this, right at the beginning. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. Flip over to chapter 3, it starts off, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So they took out son of Amittai and put in a second time. Um, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for the message. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same um, introduction, same words. They swap out son of Amittai for second time. There's several reasons why you would do this. Um, and there's a theological point that's being made. And we're going to get there. Before we go any farther, I want to talk a little bit about some stuff I haven't had time to cover in the other sessions. Um, I guess I should say it's sermons. That's what people call these. Um, um, so, it, um, okay. I want to talk to you about some of the symbolism. A, a, f- a few months ago, I talked about uh, names and Jewish names 
and how the people, uh, ancient Hebrews reading the Old Testament, would come across different Jewish names, and they fit the story. Um, Jewish names had, um, they always represented things. Um, I, okay, specifically I talked about um, Sisera, and his name means serpent, um, and he's running, and he's evil, and he runs and hides into the, uh, in a tent of, of someone named Jael, um, Yael, which means the Lord is God. Um, according to Jewish beliefs and theology and teaching and everything that has happened up to this point of this man doing this thing, um, the story is constantly told, even in Genesis, that um, the Lord God would crush the head of the serpent. And so Sisera runs into the tent of the Lord as God, and what happens? Takes a spike, crushes his head. Okay, this stuff works its way all through ancient Hebrew texts. You read people's names, um, and uh, there's a man named Ruy Vanderland. He goes way into the deep into this stuff, and he talks about it constantly. Look him up, read him. He's brilliant. Um, and, and he, 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 um, he at one point says, If my name was Sisera, which meant snake, if my parents named me snake, and I ever met anyone named Yael, I would not hang out. I would run. I would go the other direction. And I'd wear a helmet. Um, okay, so like this was all through there. Now, I want to talk about some of the symbolism in this particular story, because there's a lot of it here. The word Jonah, uh, it, so it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Amittai, um, so his name would be Jonah ben Amittai. So like Amittai means, quite literally in Hebrew, it means truth. So you have Jonah, the son of truth. Okay? Um, in the back of your mind, the whole time, as I'm reading this, you should think about Jesus when he says, I'm the new Jonah. All right, and Matthew. All right, so um, I'm, I'm better than Jonah. He's the replacement of Jonah. He does it right. Okay, so um, now Jonah itself, that word Jonah means dove. In the Hebrew, if you said his name, you, you're literally calling him dove. All right, so um, the dove in, in Hebrew symbolism is, so, wait, so, he's, so he's basically the dove, the son of truth. Um, the dove is always considered good. It's a symbol of peace, mildness, harmlessness. Um, a dove is also the bringer of good news. You'll remember from a lot of our teachings in the New Testament, um, good news is the word gospel. It literally means good news in the Greek. Um, so the dove is the bringer of good news, the bringer of the gospel. Um, so you see this several times in Scripture, the most famous being the story of Noah, when the dove comes bringing a message um, that, that it's, it's the message of the end of God's wrath. He flies in, he pronounces the end of God's wrath. It's a dove. It's... Um, by the way, the story of, of Noah and the flood, that's, that's about Jesus, just so you know. Um, so, in, in the Greek, good news um, was always this idea of gospel. So, so let's put this together. Um, we have the dove, the bringer of the gospel, who is the son of truth. All right? Is this ringing a bell? You've heard this before? Um, so, uh, believe me, it would have made perfect sense... Um, to the Hebrew reader, that, that God would have chosen Jonah from the Hebrew's point of view. We look at it and we say, why would God choose Jonah? God knows Jonah's heart. He knows he's an idolater. Why wouldn't he choose someone that was more meek and more humble? Well, it also tells the story of God. First off, God doesn't always choose the most fitted person to do the job. Second, um, the dove was supposed to represent something. There's all these different reasons. So a, a Hebrew listener listening to the story of Jonah being, they're like, oh, of course, he chose the dove. Of course, he's taking truth. He's the son of truth, and he's taking the good news to a, a city. So, like, it's, it's great. So, all right, so there's more than this. Um, Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, the name Nineveh, um, it actually means fish. Um, the first part of Nineveh is, is one of the names of Dagon. 
Um, Dagon is an ancient mythological god. Um, in chapter 1, verse 1, we hear this. The Lord called, the Lord calls Nineveh um, that great city. He calls it again in chapter 3. Um, the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. So, the great city. It's a very, very big city. Um, but the name is Fish. So, it's a very, very big fish. Interesting. Um, now, the name Nineveh, scholars believe, is, is, is derived from one of the names of Dagon. Um, in Nineveh, there are lots of carvings of their god that they worship Dagon. I have one here for you. So, it's a little blurry pixeled because it's a huge screen. What you have here is the god Dagon. It's a dude in a fish. Which is interesting, right? Um, and this is fascinating to me because this represented their gods for, for a thousand years before... Um, the Israelites even came on the scene. They, they, they worshipped this god, Dagon, all right? um, who was man and a fish, so half man, half fish. Um, so here we go. I'm going I'm to think of it now in this, in this terms. And, and, and this is why um, the Hebrew scriptures are often so incredibly beautiful. Um, they're doing things, using literary devices that we don't even know exist that we just ignore, we don't use. Okay, so um, here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the dove, the symbol of peace, the bringer of the gospel, who was the son of truth, saying, Arise, go, you know, to, go to the, the great fish, <laughs> and for their evil has come upon me. The, the, this fish, this was something that they worshipped. This was their god. It came up out of the sea. Um, basically, they... Let's see, I wrote a bunch of stuff down here about it. Um, the Babylonians, they had this myth that... that um, a being emerged from the Erythian Sea, um, and it, it, was, it was a man and a fish, and he would deliver um, these messages to them, and they worshipped him. Um, to me, it's, first off, it's comedic gold. I love it. Um, second, Jonah becomes the pagan symbol of the people that he hated. He becomes everything he hated. All right, this is brilliant. Um, so, what do you think Jonah has just learned about God? First, um, I believe that one of the things that he's learned is that he knows, is that God knows the heart of the people. God knows everything that's going on. God knows what their gods are. God knows everybody in every city, what they're, what they're worshiping, what is first and foremost in their life. And he knows the heart of Jonah. And he knows the heart of Jonah is its own idol. Jonah basically worships himself. Jonah thinks that his city is the greatest thing in the world and that, and that his God is the greatest thing in the world, which is incredibly true, but he, he thinks it has to do with him. And so he becomes his own God. And so what does God do? He's sort of, all right, you want to be your own God? You're going to become the God of the people that you hate. All right, so, um, and, and the second thing that I, I think that Jonah really sees about God here is that, he, is that God sees through all of their pagan idolatry and he knows that they can be redeemed. When Jonah is, is spit up out of the fish, um, it's, it's very symbolic. Like, yeah, you can be saved from that. You can be saved from anything. The people in this city who are worshiping this pagan idol, they can be saved from that. No matter how far gone somebody is, no matter how destroyed and distraught their life is, they can be saved. I think the third thing that Jonah picks up is that, he's not, is that God's not, God is in the business of destroying idols. God is in the business of destroying idols. Um, the funny thing is, I'm not, people always talk about how they're really surprised. For, for thousands of years, they've worshipped this, this god, Dagon. Um, and people are all shocked when, when Jonah comes walking in and just says a few lines. You have 40 days to repent. And they're all shocked. Um, the Hebrew people, they, 
they would heard this and be like, of course they repented. It's almost as if their God just came up out of the sea and told them he's not God. I mean, it's no mystery to me that the people from the king down repented and changed and became followers of Yahweh. It says they, they t- had a time of mourning, um, they covered themselves in sackcloth and ashes, and they were repenting left and right and starting to follow Yahweh. God is amazing. The, the ways that he works, the ways that he gets people's attention, destroys their God right in front of them. It's the same thing that he did in, in Israel when he's leading the Israelites out of, out of Egypt and every single plague that he sends down completely confronts one of their gods. God of the frogs, the God of the locust, the God of the light, the sun. Every single one of them he destroys and then leads the people out. This is what God does. He's in the business of destroying our idols. Sometimes it's rather painful. All right? So... Um, this actually, the funny thing is, this isn't actually the first time that, that we see Dagon in the scriptures. We see him in 1 Samuel 5. Um, the Philistines, also from Assyria, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Um, and the Philistines lived around Nineveh. Um, they also worshipped the god Dagon. Um, they captured the Ark of the Covenant, remember in Samuel 5. 1 Samuel 5. And, and they bring it in, and they put it in, in the temple of, to Dagon. Right in front of the statue of Dagon. And they set it in there, and they leave. They come back in the morning... Um, and they go into the tent where the Ark of the Covenant is, and they find Dagon with his head broken off and his hands broken off on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. All right? Every time Yahweh meets Dagon, it goes really well for Yahweh, obviously. Um, it, the symbols left and right of, 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 of God telling, of Yahweh telling everyone else, um, your gods are no match for me, and, and you will submit to me. You know, it's, it's beautiful. So... Um, I'm going to go back into the text here. I'm going to, I want to talk about verse 1. So go to the next slide for me. Um, this is, again, this is Jonah chapter 1, 1, and this is Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Um, uh, all, the, all the scholars and the commentaries you read on this, especially the Hebrew commentaries, say that it is written just like this. It is, it is a perfect match, except for the, the, the word son of Amittai, and uh, the, the second time. The reason they did this is because it's supposed to, in your mind, um, paint a picture of Jonah being back in his city. He's moved on with life again. He's going back. To, it doesn't tell us how much time has passed. It doesn't necessarily tell us where he came, he, where his uh, his fish run ashore. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't describe any of this. What it describes is Jonah going on with his life again. Um, when Jonah is called by the word by the word of the Lord one more time, it's the exact same way. And so your mind is supposed to go back. And this is what the scholars tell us. So um, they argue that that he was probably back in his city again. Probably back in Israel, going about his daily life. Um, it could have been the next day. It could have been the same day. It could have been a couple years later. We have no idea. Um, so I, I tend to think it wasn't too far away because of the whole 40 days, 40 nights thing. But um, there's a lot of discussion about that too. And we won't get into that. Um, so one of the things that the first thing I notice and the first thing that everyone notices is the phrase son of Amittai has been replaced by for a second time. Where the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Where the Lord came to Jonah, the second time. Um, now, the interesting thing about this is he, he's, he's no longer called the son of Amittai, and, and that doesn't seem like a big deal, but to a Hebrew it is. It's a huge deal. Um, he's just Jonah. Your identity was wrapped up in, in your father and what he did and his power. And, and Amittai was, was a pretty big deal because Amittai um, worked with the Israelite government, uh, I mean, the, the, the ancient... The, the Israelite government under um, Jeroboam II, under the greatest expansion of the Israelite empire that there was. This was a big deal. And the author doesn't even write it in. 
You know what he's saying? It doesn't matter anymore. That's not who he is anymore. That's not who he's remembered as anymore. We all know who he's remembered as now. Um, he's no longer known by his father's name. Um, what was once this really great name, a, a well-known legacy, has now been replaced by the reminder that he has already given him this command. So we've taken out the great name that he has, the son of Amittai, and we've replaced it with, and the Lord had to call him a second time. The memory we now have of him is not who his father was or how great he was. It's, oh, by the way, he failed. He disobeyed God, and God had to call him again. His entire identity was now something completely different. Something he couldn't really stand up and brag about anymore. Um, so Jonah is no longer known by who he is, what he's done, where he's from. All of these things have been stripped away. Who is he now? It doesn't matter. His lineage is being completely ignored. What has he done? Well, it used to be said that he was a prophet, that he was a great prophet. Um, and, and really, whatever it was before, that who he was and what he did, it's all been forgotten and replaced by that, that fish incident. All right? Um, where is he from? The son of Amittai, you know where he's from. Everyone knew who Amittai was. Um, that part used to clear that up, but it, 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 was, it was somewhere that he used to think that God loved more than everywhere else. And Jonah has come to realize that God doesn't love the Hebrew people more than he loves everyone else. That God's desire is that everyone should know him. Everyone in every nation in the world should know him. I guess, honestly, to me, the most amazing part, like I said during our worship session here, was, was the beginning of the passage, then the word, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I, I'm, I'm surprised, being a human being, that the word of the Lord even came back to Jonah. Um, that's not how we act. That's not our, in our nature. That's not our character. When, when people fail us, there's that little saying, if you mess up once, you know, shame on me. You mess up twice. If shame, once mess up once, shame on you. Twice, shame on me. Um, we don't give people second chances very often. And if we do, we definitely don't give them a third. Um, and that, that's, it seems to be out of character with, with God. Um, what kind of God is it whose, whose messengers are these lowly failures? Who everyone, when you hear the name Jonah, you know who he is and what he did. You know he's a bad dude. And, 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 and people oftentimes don't even like to really study the book because they're like, I don't really like Jonah. He's not really a good guy. Well, God liked him enough to bring his message again a second time. Give him another chance and call him a prophet one more time. All right? Uh, I mean, it, honestly, there's Isaiah's everywhere. There's... there's, there's Micahs and Nahums out there that, that were faithful to God and, and never, never broke step with him. And he goes back and calls Jonah. So here's the thing about Yahweh, about Jehovah, about Jesus Christ, is that he doesn't care about Jonah's unfaithfulness to him in the past. He can see straight into the heart of Jonah and he knows the impact that his grace has had on him. He sees past what everyone else. Everyone else sees a failure, someone who's done something wrong. God sees right into the heart of Jonah and sees, says, oh, what, what to you looks like failure, to me it looks like change. To me it looks like redemption. All right? I mean, you can't come into contact with the grace of God and walk away with the same view that you had before. You just can't do it. Um, some people, when they talk about a text like this, um, they read that and they say, oh, of course Jonah got up and went. Um, God sent a storm and had him eaten by a fish and brought back. Um, of course Jonah went. He was terrified of God. I don't think that's why Jonah went. There's very few theologians who think that that's why Jonah went. 
We like to talk about how, how God treats people terribly, as if, as, if, as if he were up there commanding you to do something and then punishing you if you don't do it. And first off, God was not punishing Jonah. Where did Jonah get the idea that if he was thrown overboard, that God would stop it? Oh, it was a covenant he made with God. God never told him that. God never told him that if you throw yourself overboard, I'll, I'll save all these people. He knew what he deserved. He was punishing himself. He said, I deserve to die. I've betrayed my God. Throw me overboard. All right? There's no command from God to throw him overboard. There was no angry voice condemning him. Um, the, the, the only one making the pronouncement of death was Jonah, and he was right to believe what he deserved. Um, a lot of you, deep in your soul, you think that you deserve much worse than you're receiving, that you shouldn't have the high standard of living that you have, that you shouldn't have the spouse you have, the kids you have, the health you have, and you say to yourself, I don't deserve this. Have you ever looked at your spouse and said, I don't deserve you? I think we all have, billions of times. I know I have. And you say, I don't deserve what I have. I don't deserve what I've been given. Why do you say that? You're, you're saying exactly what Jonah said. I'm unfaithful. I'm not worthy of what I have. Um, God was saving Jonah. He, he was not just saving his life, but he was saving his love. He was saving his, 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 saving his, his whole being. He was having mercy and grace on him. And God saw him as somebody worthy, uh, more worthy of... God saw him as worthy of more than just punishment and death in some abyss. God saw him as something who needed to be saved, redeemed, and changed. God was changing Jonah. He, he put him in that fish to make him more loving, more gracious, more tender, more merciful. All of these things come along with that. All right? He didn't receive what he knew he deserved. He, deserved, he, he received what he did not at all deserve. Um, and, 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 so, and so, which brings me back to why Jonah went the second time. Do you know why I believe Jonah went the second time? Do you know why most theologians believe Jonah went the second time? Is because God had saved a sinner by grace. And he realized that God was sending Jonah to a people that needed to be saved by grace. And it's not until you've experienced something like that that you understand what other people are going through and that you are stirred up to go do something about it. I don't know how many people I know who, who are doing these amazing things for God. They're, they're giving so much of their lives to help the other people and, and I, I can't get my mind around it. I, for some reason, I don't have enough compassion as they do. I don't see people the way they do. And, and, and then one day I come to find out that, oh, you've been through that. You've experienced it. That is why you are so into this. That is why you're so gung-ho about saving these kinds of people because you are one of those kinds of people. I don't think it's an accident. I, I don't think God was punishing him. I think God was giving him exactly what he needed to experience so that he would love everyone in that city. Have you ever experienced something so incredibly profound that it changes the way you interact with people? It completely changes the way you look at people? Um, first thing I thought of was this... Uh, was this um, um, I, I was thinking about one of, one of the most difficult things that you would have to do that people don't want to do. Um, and for some reason, this old movie, like We Were Soldiers, popped in my head. Um, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a true story about, um, uh, about this guy, Joe Galloway. It, it was his tour in Vietnam, um, where he became part of one of the, one of the most famous battles in all of, of, of Vietnam there. Um, and the part that sticks out to me is not so much what happened there. It was what happened back at home. Um, when when one of the, the wife of the first platoon member to die in that, in that battle received a letter. And the letter was... You know, the soldiers, they come to her door and they say, your husband's been killed. 
And she takes this letter, and she is just destroyed. She's distraught, and she's, she's incredibly filled with sorrow. Um, a few minutes later in the movie, you find out that someone else's husband has died, and that they're about to receive a letter. And what does this woman do? Something she never, ever would have done before. She goes out to the soldiers, and she says... I'm going to take this letter and I'm going to do this. And then she takes the letter and she delivers it to the next woman whose wife died, whose husband died. And then that woman, they, they band together and, and, and they go one at a time delivering the letters of their husband's death to these wives of, of the husbands. And it's something that I, I can contrast that with Jonah. I can see that. Jonah never would have done what he was doing. He never would have gone up and gone had he not been through what he had been through. It was all about God showing him a little bit of his view of people. Um, I know a, a lot of you have been through incredibly difficult things. Some of you have experienced the very thing I'm talking about. And it's changed the way you look at people. I mean, this, this woman's suffering and her experience has given her this perspective that was used to impact those around her. Jonah needed to see the people the way God sees them in order to fully understand God's ways on his earth. And what better way to show Jonah the people he's going out to reach than to make him an, uh, the perfect symbol of their evil sin. They're worshiping this, this pagan god and, and they believe that he has some power to do something. And Jonah mocks them for it and he runs from them. He refuses to even offer salvation to them. And God makes him a symbol of everything that they are so he would see himself for how evil he is and how much grace God has offered to him. There's so much more there than we see on the surface. It's, it's beautiful. It's brilliant. All right? Um, most people don't understand the ways of God because they're incapable of seeing people the way that God sees them. When Jonah didn't have the perspective of, of, of someone who needed grace, he had no desire or ability to give grace to them. To someone who does not see how much grace they have been given, it is nearly impossible for them to offer grace to other people. This is, why, this is why we are supposed to meditate on the gospel day and night. This is why when we look at our own life and our own achievements, we really should, should focus our eyes on the gospel, on Christ on the cross, and we should realize what all of that really means. It was all just grace. That's all it was. All right? Um, so Jonah went when he was told to go, not because he was fearing being eaten by some other fish, but because of who he was now, after that experience. A covenant breaker who deserved death, but had been offered grace when he repented. I don't know what most of you have been through in your life over the years. I've, I've come to hear some of the stories of some of the people in this room, and some of them are mind-blowing. Some of them, um, I don't know how you've been through what you've been through, and you're still walking with God through it. Uh, some of you have have suffered so greatly and you all you can say is what, what Jonah said the Lord giveth the Lord taketh away praise be the name of the Lord um, and I hear these stories and I'm like why would God ever do that how, how could you ever get through something like that um, this actually happened last week um, my wife and I have close friends from, from college years ago who um, they had a baby last week and um, they found out a couple of months before the baby was born that it had some very incredibly rare disease. Um, and we've known them since, I, I've known them since I was like seven, to, her since I was like 17. She was 
my wife's like roommate in college, and I've known him since I was probably 14. I worked with him at a camp in the kitchen and stuff. Um, and last week they had they had a, they had a baby. They found out a few months before they had the baby that it had some very very rare disease that always ends in the death of the baby. Um, so they gave birth to the girl. They named her Elizabeth Grace, and they loved her for two short days before she died. And the thing that stands out to me is they named her Elizabeth Grace. That is somebody, I think, who understands a little bit about grace. You're dealing with an awful curse. You're dealing with something that nobody wants to deal with. People spend millions of dollars to stop this kind of thing from happening. People are terrified of this kind of thing happening. And it happens to them. And the baby is born. And they name her Grace. It's a uniquely profound and painful experience. I don't know how people can just deal with that. I don't. Um, I know that there's someone somewhere who will need to hear the story of how they could have reacted in this hateful way and thrown off their faith um, towards God, um, but they turned and they named their daughter Grace. There's somebody who will hear that story who needed to hear that story. There's this experience that they went through that somehow made them stronger in their faith with God. It has a purpose. It has a reason. This thing that Jonah went through, this kind of suffering has a purpose, has a reason. And it's it's crazy that, that a God could even use this kind of thing. Again, like I said, I don't know what a lot of you are going through, but I have a feeling that if, if the word of the Lord came to you because of what you have gone through, if the word of the Lord came to you, you would get up and you would go, just like Jonah. And had you not gone through what you have been through, you wouldn't. You're stronger and you're wiser than the rest of us. You've felt more pain. You've needed more grace. You've traversed more storms. You've been swallowed up by more false gods than the rest of us can imagine. Um, but, you're, but you're now, you, you're someone who understands the call of Jesus when he looks at you and he says, now I need you to go. And you're like, no doubt, I'll go. I'm not going to stop and think about it. None of my idols are going to stand in front of me because you've knocked them all down. And those are the kind of people that do amazing things for God. The people who have been chastened and their idols have been destroyed. And it's, it's the most painful process. I've seen it. I've never experienced it on a, on a large scale. And I hope I don't. But I might. At any moment. And any one of you can, at any moment, experience something like this. And I guess the question is when you emerge from the other side of that, when your idols have been knocked down and destroyed, and you've gotten through it, and you're home in your bed, and one night God comes to you and says, I'm coming to you a second time, and I want you to go. I want you to go to the kind of people who you have something very much in common with. And in that moment, I think you're going to understand a lot more about grace than you ever could before. I think I want to take communion now. Um, <clears throat> this is something we do every single week. This is a very important part of our, uh, 
of our, of our community, of our life of faith. And um, we take some time. We spend time in, in, in prayer and silence. And uh, we, we ask God to reveal to us some idols that we need to give up, that we need to let him break down. Maybe he's been trying to break down and you've been fighting him tooth and nail ever since then. Um, maybe there's some things you need to repent of. Whatever it is, ask God to call it to your mind. Meditate on that. And um, ask him to forgive you. Ask him to take it out. And then we spend some time and, and we come up and take a piece of bread. The bread symbolizes the body of Christ broken for us. We dip it in the, the wine. The wine symbolizes the blood of Christ spilled for all of us. And we eat it and we say, Lord, I do this to remember what you did for me on the cross. Um, help me to understand your grace even more. So our communion service will come on up. Two will be up here and two will be back there. Um, and so uh, take some time. Talk to the Lord. I'll close this up in prayer. Father, <clears throat> we love you. You're a good God. Sometimes we look at the things that, that people are experiencing and going through and we can't help but think that those things aren't good. And there's nothing good that can come from them. And some people spend a long time in the belly of the fish learning what they need to learn. If those people are here to look today, Lord, if they're still there in those times of learning, I ask that you would strengthen them, that you would give them the wisdom they need. For those who have yet to suffer, those who have yet to, um, to, to really deal with hard things in their life, I, I ask that you would open their eyes up to, a little bit to what happened with you, to your suffering on the cross, and that they would get a glimpse of grace that they didn't have before. May we take the, the gospel closer and deeper into our lives than we ever had before. We love you, God. In your name, amen.